Hello, you're listening to On Israel, Al Monitor's podcast. I'm Menke Speak from Tel Aviv. While most news from Israel in the past two years has been about political chaos and a deep leadership crisis, and about Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's indictment on charges of bribery, fraud, and breach of trust, an extraordinary political social change has been taking place on the sidelines. As some of you may know, more than 20% of Israel's citizens are Arabs and their society is reshaping itself and redefining its place in the Jewish state in ways that would have been unthinkable just a few years ago. In fact, it's safe to say that Arab-Israeli society is experiencing nothing short of a revolution. One of the noisiest harbingers of uh, this generally quiet revolution is Knesset member Abbas Mansour, head of the Ram Islamist party, who recently announced that he regards Netanyahu and his Likud party as legitimate political partners. Not only would he agree to negotiate with them in return for budgets and advancements for the voters he represents, Abbas said, he would not rule out support for vacating Netanyahu's criminal trial if it means more benefits for his constituents. His party took a significant step in that direction when it abstained in last week's vote of disbanding, uh, disbanding the Knesset, while all other opposition partners voted in favor. A growing number of Arab Israelis have had enough of their continued expulsion from the political arena and from Israel's decision-making circles. They have decided to enter the, the ring for the first time ever. Unlike the legislators of the Arab Joint List, who voted against the recent peace and normalization agreements between Israel and three Muslim states, voters of the same party, the joint list, actually support this historic move. In the midst of the sea of bad news, the growing COVID-19 infections, economic recession, and political unrest, the country's largest minority is undergoing a process that one could call Israelization. Uh, what it essentially means is that for many of them, Israel is gradually becoming part of the solution to their problems rather than the problem. This could have been a welcome shift except that it means supporting a prime minister under criminal indictment. In fact, that has generated anger within Arab society and harsh criticism of Abbas himself on social media. Our guest today is one of the most prominent symbols of Jewish-Arab coexistence in modern-day Israel. Lucy Arish, an Israeli-born Muslim who feels just as comfortable in Hebrew as she does in Arabic and just as much at home in a Jewish society as in the Arab community. She is an experienced television journalist and host, a polyglot who has anchored television programs in Hebrew, Arabic and English, and was chosen to light a torch honoring the State of Israel and its achievements on Independence Day five years ago. She married a Jewish-Israeli actor who has recently gained international fame for his role in the Israeli television drama Fauda. Her marriage to a Jew drew racist rhetoric as well as praise. Having been sidelined by mainstream Israeli media, she is now the main anchor on Democrati TV, an independent channel based on crowdfunding and wealthy donors that is designed to provide an alternative to the traditional channels slowly being taken over by Netanyahu's representatives. 
Lucy Arish will be here right after this short break to talk about everything, chaos and hope, Arabs and Jews, and the type of world into which the baby she's carrying would be born. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East, and if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. El Monitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon El Monitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our El Monitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform, on Israel with Ben Caspit and on the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Shalom, Lucy Arish. Thank you for joining us on Al Monitor's On Israel podcast from Tel Aviv. Shalom, Lucy. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you very much for having me. It's our pleasure. I want to start with a general question. As a veteran Israeli journalist, do you remember such a chaotic, stormy time in modern Israeli history ever? Broadly speaking, are you optimistic or pessimistic about these developments? Anxious or hopeful? Wow. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm almost 40 years old and I got into the Israeli media uh, 13 years ago, I think. Uh, I, I, it, it was always hard to be as, you know, a Muslim uh, woman, Israeli, Arab in the, um, let's say, um, in the Israeli uh, uh, media, it, it, it wasn't easy. But to tell you the truth, if I remember such a chaotic time on Israeli media, on Israeli democracy, I, I, I don't remember because this is why every time that I'm doing, for example, any interview with a politician or a veteran politician, I, I usually ask them, I tell them, you know, from my young <laughs> point of view, yeah. I ask them, how do you see it? Was it always like that? Maybe we're exaggerating about everything that is happening right now in Israel. Maybe we are basically love to, you know, look at the history and say, oh, back then it was different. And there, they, I think that most of them answered the same question. It, it was always not that simple, but it wasn't like that. And yes, we are feeling that like, Every single path and every single thing that is happening all around the world with democracy and other democracies in the world, it's happening. The process is also happening in Israel. And I think that the, the process is, is basically really connected to the social media era that we're living in. Because, you know, especially in Israel, as you know, Ben, better than me, Um, uh, we don't have a lot of um, media outlets. You know, we have three channels in Israel. We have uh, three newspapers. We have uh, 
two or three websites, main uh, websites. So basically, we, we don't have a lot of uh, uh, media outlets like, for example, in the United States. Yeah. So when the, the social media, especially in Israel, became really uh, um, a major factor with everything concerning how we are receiving uh, media, how we're receiving the news, how we are communicating with the news. And you know, basically how people are um, talking and expressing themselves and, and the whole concept of freedom of speech, basically, and what are the boundaries of freedom of speech. So I think, I think it's chaotic, especially here in Israel, because we're such a small country. We're not like the United States, for example, 350 million people. We're only 8 million people. And uh, everything is, is louder. And, and social media made it also, it made it even louder than it's all around the world. Because um, I think that the, the process that the Israeli media is going through is basically um, fascinating, and especially in the last 15 years. And if we will, you know, we can start looking at it from the entrance of Israel, Israel Ayom, Israel Today, uh, the newspaper of Sheldon Edelson into the, uh, into the game, into the media game. Um, uh, it's changed it's everything. It's distributed uh, free of charge uh, without paying or something. So it, it actually kills the market of the of the of the papers and then it makes everything a lot more uh, harder a lot more hard and you know the, the, the market in Israel is adjusted it's so limited that if you're getting fired from your your uh, working place in the media you don't have anywhere to go it's not like the, in the United States that the, this phenomena that you just described made the the the, the you know the, the powers like New York Times and Washington Post mostly journal even stronger because there are, there are enough people that want to know the truth. In Israel, it's so small and fragile that, that actually I'm worried as well. I, I agree with you 100%. It's amazing that you're saying that because today I spoke about it. Because, you know, I spoke about the boundaries of, of freedom of speech and, and why, for example, artists in Israel uh, cannot speak out loud, like, for example, in the United States. Take, take for example, Bill Maher, or, uh, or for example, uh, Bruce Springsteen, or any, you know, big, huge artist or big, huge uh, journalist in the United States. When they speak out, they're not afraid that they will lose their job. Yeah. They're not afraid that they will lose their income because, you know, it's it's I'm sorry for the F word, but it's fucking Bruce Springsteen. It's it's a, you know, it's fucking Bill, Bill Meyer. Bill Meyer can can like be on his show and, and say, you know, this fucking guy, the president of the United States, and nobody will do anything to Bill Meyer. But if try to think if one of us will say something like that about the Israeli prime minister. We will lose our job in less than 30 seconds. And then we won't be able to find any other place to work in, which makes your job even harder, not only to be objective, because I don't know if we as journalists can be objective because you know, at the end of the day, we are human beings, but it makes it, it, makes it harder to be a fair journalist because you want to say something, you want to say what's on your heart because basically you're a human being and you have your ideas and you're coming with 
your background and you're coming with everything that you went through in your life. And it's affecting the way that you think and even the way that you analyze things. But at the end of the day, if you will say these things, you will end up losing your job or you losing your income. So if I will be fired, for example, from channel 12 or channel 13, or you will be fired from any of the uh, 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 positions that you're in, you it won't be easy to find a job anywhere else in Israel. And it happened so, to many, many of our colleagues and it happened to us as well. Definitely. And I want to touch the fire now and ask you the question, the real question, because you know we, we are talking about it and we are fighting for our democracy, but do you really think that Israeli democracy is in real danger? Isn't it sufficiently stable to withstand this chaos? Could we be heading for an erosion of democracy similar to Turkey's, for example, or Israel is something else and with all the problems that you just described and Netanyahu, et cetera, the Israeli democracy is stable. What's your opinion? I think that the Israeli democracy is stable, but shaky. Let's not forget, Ben, that we are only 70 years old. We're not 300 years old. We're not 1,000 years old. And we don't have a constitution. Exactly. And we don't have a constitution like the United States, for example. So we are still building our democracy. It's a miracle. This country is a miracle, really. When you're looking what at what happened here in 72 years, how this country built itself from, from ashes. And, and you can actually say from ashes after World War II mm -hmm. and after everything that happened here and after, and being a villa, how Ehud Barak, the former prime minister called it, a villa in the jungle uh, of the Middle East. And you're looking at the small country and looking all all the, the you know the the success that it had in the last 72 73 years you're saying to yourself it's a miracle so i think it's um it's in a shaky situation and if we won't be able if we won't be very if we won't notice to all, every single process that is happening right now in our country yes it's in a very shaky situation it's not obvious that Israel is a democracy. It's a young democracy. It's a very, very young democracy. We're not France. We're not Germany. We are not uh, Britain. We're not the United States. And I think that this puts us in a um, more cautious situation. We need to be more aware to every single thing that is happening in Israel. To every, the, the fact that we still have 14 years, one prime minister, it's, it's, it's very unhealthy for the Israeli democracy. And, and it got nothing to do with Benjamin Netanyahu. For, you know, I'm, I'm voting for the, uh, at least I voted uh, until the last elections for the um, uh, Ha'avuda party and, and for the Labour party. And may it rest in peace. May it rest, exactly. May it rest, rest in peace. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking and I'm asking myself in the, in the last few weeks, how come? In the last 40 years, the left, the center left in Israel, let's call it like that, if there is a center left, I don't know if, you know, all these, uh, the, the words right and left, I don't know how it's very, I, I don't know how relevant they are here in Israel, but let's call it the center left here in Israel. And I'm asking myself, how come the center left in Israel didn't gain the government in the last 40 years? And it's, it's a question that we need to ask ourselves. 
And it's a question that we need to ask ourselves because again, it got nothing to do with Benjamin Netanyahu. I have no problem with somebody else ruling this country from the Likud party. But I think that a prime minister need, you know, in the United States, they know you will elect a president. He will be four years, max eight years, and then he will change here. It seems that we are like, you know, in this circle that is not ending because of the system, because we don't have any constitution, because we don't have any limitation on the period of time that a prime minister can be a prime minister. And don't, and, don't forget, Lucy, you, you, I think you're uh, too young, but uh, before he, were, he got elected in uh, 96, he sat in, uh, in uh, uh, Dan Chilon's uh, very popular television uh, uh, program, and he said, in the 90s, first thing, yeah. Exactly. First thing I will do as prime minister is limit the terms to two terms. And he, and he said in his voice, Netanyahu said, you will not do anything if you not do it in the first or, or second term. So we don't need a third one. And now we are in his fifth or sixth. And, and, but I want to dive with you now uh, to, to the next subject. subject and the, one of the most interesting things happening in Israel these days is the change in Arab-Israeli society. You are perhaps the best connected, best known Arab-Israeli. Generally speaking, are you in favor of going along with any politician or party on condition that they supply the goods to Arab voters who are uh, so eager for equality, attention and resources? And what I'm actually asking you is what do you think of the strategy that the Knesset member Mansour Abbas is leading? Wow, I, I think that what is happening right now, Ben, is fascinating. It's fascinating because, you know, I don't think that people really understand the situation that Israeli Arabs are, what is the position of Israeli Arabs in Israel, okay? Or even in the Arab world. If you will ask people in the Arab world, what is this, you know, creature <laughs> if we're, we can call it like that, that, that is called Israeli Arab, nobody in the Arab world will be able to answer it because they don't know exactly what it is. Are you Palestinians? Are you Israelis? Are you living with Jews? Are you working with the Israelis? Are you cooperating with the Israelis? What is this exactly? And I think that for the Israeli Arabs, at least the new generation, there is a need to change the discourse. I don't need to tell you, Ben, you know it better than me. For the last 25 years, the, the Israeli Arab parties, the Arab parties in Israel that took part in the political game, they decided that they are taking part of the game by sitting on the bench. They are not recommending to the president on any nominee or any, call, any prime minister or any elected prime minister. So they're staying on the opposition side. They're not uh, giving their vote to say who they recommend as a prime minister. It happened for the last 25 years until two uh, elections ago. The first round of election, if you remember, they yeah. didn't recommend on anyone, not on Benny Gantz and not on Benjamin Netanyahu. Yeah. And this is why if you remember, they got only 11 mandates. The reason that they got 11 mandates, it's because the uh, Arab discourse, the, the, like the, the, the society, the Arab society in Israel, the citizens 
of uh, the, the Arab citizens in Israel, they told their leadership that they are not willing to be a bench a player anymore. And they want to be part of the game. So at the first round of elections, they said to their leadership, if you are not going to do anything with our vote, so you know what, you're not going to get it. Exactly. And at the second round, this is why the joint party uh, decided that it's joining, it's uh, joining the parties again and going on the second round together again. And this is why they got 13 or 14 mandates. And on the third round, they already got 15 because they went and recommended and said, you know what, we want to be part of the game. What Mansour Abbas did was taking it one step ahead. Because what the center-left, again, I have a problem with this phrase, center-left, but what the center-left in Israel did was a coward act. When Benny Gantz for three campaigns are not able to say the word Arabs, he will say non-Jews, the Jewish people and the non-Jewish people in Israel. He wasn't able to say the word Arabs because he was afraid that he will be connected to the Arab society in Israel. Because Benjamin Netanyahu made a campaign, as you know, saying that if you will vote for Benny Gantz, you will get the Arabs in your coalition. You will get the Arabs as ministers. You will get the Arabs uh, ruling this country. Of course, inciting and, 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 and violence and, and you know, incitement against the Arab society. And Benny Gantz, being so coward and the, the, the center left uh, um, uh, leadership in Israel was not able to say, yes, I want to make a change. And if I want to make a change, I need to take the 20% of the Israeli Arab society in Israel and bring it to my side to play the game with me. The Israeli Arab, and, and I think our viewers in the United States, uh, our uh, listeners in the United States uh, needs to, need to understand is that the Arab population in Israel is 20%. The Jewish community in the United States is 2%, which means that if you want to make a change in, 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 in the Israeli government or a change in the, between left and right in Israel, you cannot ignore 20% of the society no, living. It's not only the 20%. Don't forget that the center, central left, they don't have the orthodox. So they, they cannot maneuver in Israeli politics with the two minorities outside of their reach. And so if what you does want to, take the, to, to talk to our American listeners, it's imagine 70 million voters. This is 20%, 70 million American voters and this is the, the the Israeli Arabs, but you know, Lucy, I think it's a little. What does it mean? What does it mean, Ben? It means that the center left in Israel is coward, and what Mansour Abbas understood is, and what he did, by the way, is what Ayman Odi, the head of the joint list list, was supposed to do and play the game with with any of the leadership, you know. Uh, 
a lot of you know, relative to to uh, a lot of close people to uh, Ayman Ode told me a few years ago when Avi Gabay was the head. You don't know, remember these days when Avi Gabay was the head yes. of the Labour Party? Nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they didn't have any chance, poor guy. But uh, you know, it's a uh, um, uh, he like people really connected to Ayman Ode. They told me if Yair Lapid and Avi Gabay will come with a proposal to Ayman Ode to leave the joint list and join them, he will do it. And Ayman Ode was really afraid to do this, this step. And a few years later, Mansour Abbas is saying to himself, okay, okay, the center left doesn't want to speak with me. He's afraid. He's a coward, let's say it like, you know, <laughs> we're saying it in Arabic, on the table, let's put it on the table. They are cowards. So you know what? They don't want to speak with me. They're supposed to be my, you know, uh, uh, natural partners. They don't want to be with me. So you know what? I will go to not my natural partner. I will go to Benjamin Netanyahu and I will hear, or to the right, and I will hear what they have to offer because I have power that I can give him for five mandates. It's a lot of power, especially in yes. a shaky government like Israel. And it's exactly the votes Netanyahu needs in order even to, to vacate his, uh, his trial, to stop his trial. But exactly. you know, I have to say in, in Benny Gantz's favor, and I'm not one of his supporters, because he was stuck in a catch-22 situation or in a paradox, because I don't know if you remember, uh, during the campaign, the Likud, Netanyahu, who is very smart, he identified this point, and he started campaigning on, on Gantz's head that he is going to, 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 a, to make a coalition with the Arabs. And when Netanyahu started doing this, the Gantz a, a party, the blue and the white party was diving in the polls because you know, the electorate of the left is smaller than the electorate of the right. And, and after it was all finished, now Netanyahu is having a, 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 a romance with Mansour Abbas and Netanyahu is not paying anything for this. It's only the central left who is paying the price if, he, if it wants to go with the Arab. It's not that he doesn't want to, that he cannot maneuver in, and, but Netanyahu is doing it and nothing happens. Because let's, and let, let me emphasize something. Mansour Abbas is the head of the Islamic movement in Israel, okay? Yeah. It's like, it's very important to notice that. You know, uh, I, I want to like make an emphasis on this because every single time that uh, a journalist in Israel or an Israeli journalist, Jewish Israeli journalist interviews somebody from the joint list, one of the first questions that they're asking them is why you're defining yourself as a Palestinian, you're Israeli. How come you're saying that you're Palestinian? Now, if you're Palestinian, you're not part of Israel, you're not recognizing Israel, so it's not your country. So go live in Gaza, go live in Ramallah. And you know all these this this uh, not mature discourse that is happening in the Israeli media, but you know nobody. I didn't listen to any of the uh, analysts that were against the collaboration of Benny Gantz with, or were you know were really critique against the the, the collaboration of Benny Gantz with the joint list asking right now Mansour Abbas when they are interviewing him about his Palestinian identity. 
And I agree with you. When Benjamin Netanyahu does something, it's acceptable. It's more acceptable than the right, than the left side will do it. Yeah. And I think it comes because the other side is coward. They are cowards, Ben. Because if they knew how to play the political game, at least, you know, half the way, like Benjamin Netanyahu knows how to play the game, you know, it's, it's, it, it wouldn't, wouldn't have been like that. Look at Ehud Barak. Ehud Barak won the election and he won uh, the, the, the elections and he became the prime minister of Israel because of the Arab vote. And he knows that, and he knew that he couldn't win if it wasn't for the Arab vote that he got. And this is what Benjamin Netanyahu understands. And this is what Mansour Abbas understands. Mansour Abbas said to himself, you know, I, I, don't, I, don't, know, I don't know if I, I, I'm not agreeing on the political step that he did with Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, but if somebody else would have been in the, as the head of, of the Likud, I would have, I said- it, it was easier. Game. You agree with the logic of the, of the principle that he's doing? Yes, I yes, I agree because it's the first time that an Arab uh, leadership or somebody from the Arab leadership is saying, you know what? I want to play on the court, on the field. I want to play the game. Like what the Haredi party is doing. Exactly. He wants to be the shas of the Arab of the Arab electorate, and uh, maybe he's right. But I want I want to, to say in, in this podcast something optimistic. So let's let's put aside politics for a minute. It's it's. I have to say it's optimistic. Try to imagine, Ben. Let's both of us try to imagine if there if somebody will be smart in shas and will say to Mansour Abbas, you know what? That's Why don't weather. you walk? Let's go together. By the way, they work yeah. together all the time in the Knesset. They vote together exactly. on many, many issues. You, you know, that was the Moazin statute that uh, uh, people in the Knesset, Knesset members wanted to, to, to stop or, or, or make the Moazin in the mask less loud. And the Haredi uh, voters, uh, uh, members of Knesset, helped the, the Arab Knesset members to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to, to block this, this statute because they work together, the two minorities, and, and I, I agree with you 100%, but I want to ask you on the same issue, uh, there is a sense that Arab Israelis today are more Israeli than their parents. They want to fit in, they are less interested in regional politics, in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, etc. They learn a lean more toward Emirates and Bahrain than Ramallah and Istanbul. Do you think I'm right? Um, I think that there is a huge change in the um, public Arab discourse in Israel. And I think it's a fascinating one. You know, Ben, uh, I will tell you something personal. Uh, 12 years ago, when I took like, when, when I first got interviewed by uh, a journalist, I spoke about um, what, how I see the, the issues between uh, Arabs and Jews in Israel. And I spoke about uh, back then, and I, I remember saying, uh, I said, well, the Palestinian issue is very important. The occupation, yes, we need to solve it. But at the end of the day, as an Israeli Arab living in Israel, I have my own problems. 
I have uh, the problems that I have in the education system. I have the violence on the streets. I have the lack of, uh, of uh, money that I'm getting from the government and budget that I'm getting. I, I have a lot of problems as a minority living, as a citizen, minority living in Israel that I'm not taking care of because of the Palestinian issue. And I remember 12 years ago when I said these things, then I got like, you know, the amount of criticism that I got. Like people said that I forgot who I am and I forgot where I came from and that I'm a filthy Zionist and that, and you know, that I'm, you know, uh, I, I want to be liked by the Jews and blah, blah, blah. 12 years after, this discourse became the main discourse in the Israeli Arab society. The Israeli Arab society is saying to its leadership, we, it, we think like, okay, the occupation and the Palestinians, okay, everything, we understand that it's important, but at the end of the day, maybe they will, maybe they won't have their own country, their own something that will happen uh, in, in the future between Israelis and Palestinians. But what will happen with us? We are holding an Israeli passport. We are holding an Israeli ID. We are Israeli citizens at the end of the day, but we are second class citizens. And we need to fight for our rights and we need to fight for our future. And we want to fight for our future because I am going to Israeli universities and I'm working with the uh, Jewish uh, people uh, in hospitals, on court, in courts, in, uh, in uh, education system. I'm working in the government for crying out loud. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I want to be developed and I want my cities to be developed and I want my society to develop. And I understand that if I won't start fighting for my own rights as a citizen in the state of Israel, and I will continue fighting for the rights of the Palestinians, that their own leadership is not fighting for their rights. Let's face the truth. Yeah. The, the, the leadership of the, Pal the Palestinians stopped even fighting for the rights of the Palestinians. More than that, the Arab world doesn't care about the Palestinians anymore. If once we used to speak about the Palestinian issue being a joker as part of solving the Arab-Israeli problem, Today, it's not even a card. Yeah. It's not even, you know, uh, um, it's not even half a card that you put on the table. And, and the Palestinians understand that, and the Israeli Arabs understand that. And just and because, today, in my radio show, we interviewed Ahmad Tibi, one of the most prominent uh, Knesset members, and we asked him about the issues that he is dealing with and concerned from. And the Palestinian and the occupation issues were number five and six. And this is exactly what you said before, because a few years ago, it was the only thing that he was talking about. But, you know, Lucy... And Ben, who do you think changed that? The Israeli Arab society. Exactly. And, and they, they were this. able to affect their leadership by changing the discourse and understand that we are not, we, we don't want to talk about the Palestinian issue anymore. We want to talk about the fact that 72 people were murdered in the last, uh, in, the, in 2020 by criminal act in the Israeli Arab society and nobody's taking care of it. Yes. This is what the Israeli Arabs are worried. 
they're not worried about, I'm sorry, about what is happening in the Palestinian territories. And they're worried about what is happening in their own nation. Of waiting for this problem to be solved and then taking care of, of yourselves and it's about time to do the, to do the other thing. Lucy, we are a lot, uh, many, uh, I think five minutes uh, after a time, but I cannot let you go with, without asking you. You just said that you, they called you 12 years ago a filthy Zionist, but you actually is filthy everything. You're a filthy Zionist, a filthy Muslim, a filthy Arab. You married a very popular Israeli Jewish actor. You're going, going to give birth to, to your baby. Is it, yeah, is it easier today than it was? Because Israel is also more conservative. You know, the, the Orthodox are growing, etc. The right wing is growing up. How do you feel uh, these I will, days? I will, be, I will be less polite than you, Ben. Uh, Israeli society is uh, very racist. It's very racist towards itself. Uh, uh, I'm talking about inside the Israeli Jewish society. I don't need to tell you what is happening here with the Ethiopian community yeah. uh, and how the Jewish people are find it hard to accept themselves because, and when I say accept themselves is accept another Jewish man or woman because he's black. So, you know, accepting Arabs, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a whole, when, when the Arab is uh, being portrayed as the enemy uh, for so many years you know it's uh it's it's a big issue um i can tell you this yes there is racism and i think that i'm facing racism every single day in israeli society uh but you know i'm not giving it the um, i'm not you know the amount of people i will put it this way i think that israelis are amazing people and I think that it takes me back to the beginning of our uh, conversation. I think that uh, today's social media, uh, in the social media era that we're living in, it's very easy to, to listen and to see only the bad things mm -hmm. and to listen to the loud extreme voices. And the loud extreme voices are really hard and they're tough and they're not easy to digest and they burn you inside out. And sometimes, yes, I have to tell you that I go to sleep and, and, and yes, I cry because, you know, you, you, cannot, um, you cannot understand how somebody can write you or, or, or comment on something that you said or wrote that he wishes that your baby, that you will get, get birth to a death baby. You know, you cannot imagine that because you're Muslim, because you married a Jewish man. Because what you did with the assimilation that you and Sahi did are destroying the Jewish people. It's not easy, but the amount of love is so much bigger than the amount of hate. The love and support that me and Sahi are, are receiving from so many Israelis, Jews and Arabs is, is unbelievable. Every single time that something is happening with me, with me and Tahi, we see, and sometimes we're so surprised because we understand how much people need some good news. They need something like coming out of the Middle East. 
they need something to show them that it can happen, that Jews and Arabs can actually live together and look, they are living together and they're going to have a baby together. And, and this is so amazing. And this is normal. It's okay. And the sun will shine tomorrow in the east. Yeah, and you know, our pro I'm always saying that at the end of the day, me and Tachi are not talking at, you know, we're not sitting at home and, you know, having discussions about the occupation and about, you know, the Israelis society and what will happen and the Jews and the Arabs. No, we're dealing with, you know, what we're going to watch on Netflix in the next uh, few hours. And who, 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 who from us, like who, who's going to be to fall asleep on the couch before we watch the first season? So, you know, we're a normal couple. But Listen, Lucy, I, I want to tell you uh, uh, finally two things. First, see everything you can on Netflix now because after the baby is coming, you will, will need every minute to sleep, but a lot of joy is waiting for you. And secondly, uh, if we weren't, weren't talking via Zoom, I would give you a hug now. And uh, the conversation was excellent and fascinating. And I thank you very much for this one. And that's it. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, great thank you honor, and uh, thank you. And I hope that uh, we gave a, a little different, uh, let's say, different um, window, or maybe a window to watch uh, through on Israeli air on us, on us. You know, it's uh, to watch us on a different, uh, in a different uh, way than people think. We did. And, you know, we did. Uh, you did. Thank you very much, Lucy Arish. We'll be back uh, after a very short break. Stay with us. Thank you. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of the award-winning media news site, El Monitor, where we cover the Middle East with some of the best reporters and columnists anywhere. And I'm excited to announce our new podcast, On the Middle East, where each week I will interview newsmakers from the U.S. and the region about the latest news and trends with additional commentary from our on-the-ground correspondents. Those of you who follow the region know that what happens in the Middle East doesn't stay in the Middle East. And to cite another great movie line, every time the U.S. tries to get out, the region pulls us back. Your time is valuable, so let me promise you this. You will learn something and you will never be bored because each week we'll be talking with and listening to those leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in this critical and fascinating region. So please subscribe to On the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Thank you for staying with us. Uh, this really great conversation was full with fear and hope, grave dangers and interesting opportunities. Lucy Arish helped us feel how is it like to be an Arab in, in the only Jewish state on the globe, spoke openly about the racism and curses, but also about the love and friendship. And Israeli democracy, she said, is fragile and under siege but you are not going to give it away for free. And the revolution inside the Arab-Israeli community is alive, kicking, and here to stay. Hope you enjoyed it. See you next week on Monday in All Israel. And I'll monitor. I'm Ben Kaspi. Take care.